If you have your Bible or your phone, I encourage you to, to bring up Micah. Last week we looked at, or two weeks ago, uh, Angie did a fantastic job last, last week in sharing a message with you. If you weren't here, I encourage you to go back and to watch or to listen uh, in, to that. Um, but, in, but the week before, we were in Micah chapter 6, and we, got, we sort of focused energy and a lot of attention on verse number 8 that says, Mankind, God has told you what is good and what, the Lord, what it is the Lord requires of you to act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with the Lord. And what God is saying here is God, he's, he's saying to his people, guys, I'm not, I'm not looking for people who simply practice religious activities. I want people who profess authentic faith in me. I, I, I want people who love me, and because they love me, uh, they, they want to be like me. And, be, and because if they want to be like me and strive to be like me, then the lives of their families, the lives of their communities, the lives of the nation will reflect me as well. And Micah continues in verse number nine, and it's closely related, almost like uh, somebody else is doing a cover of what Micah said in the previous verses, because it just continues this, this, this cycle uh, of the, the sins of Israel, the sins of Judah, and what is coming. And you see, if you read that, and I encourage you to read uh, the rest of 6 and, and all of 7, but if you continue uh, to, to read down through there, you see that, that, that the, the people of Judah have not chosen to chase after things of God. Instead, they are chasing after men like Omri and Ahab. They're, ad- they're, they're adopting their practices and the way they live their lives rather than the standards and the, the desires that God has. Omri and Ahab were not good men. They were evil and as you read down through the rest of chapter 6, you just see what that looked like and what, what, what the people were looking like. If In verse 10, it says that, your, that the, the, the gifts, the treasures that you have, they were, they were, they were taken rather than received. They, they, they were procured by evil manners. And in verse 12, he, he calls them out for using wicked scales, right? How they, were, how they were doing business. They were ripping off their fellow countrymen by using um, not just standards, if you, they may have something that was supposed to be a pound here, uh, and you were giving a pound, but they had, they had tinkered with the scale so that they were getting more out of you than what you should be giving. They were ripping off their countrymen. And then in verse number 12, it just talks about the, the wealthy living in violence and deceit. And he continues through the rest of chapter 6, and he comes to chapter 7. But we need to ask a question, why does this matter to us today? Why, when we read this story of Micah and the people of Judah who are about to be carted off into uh, captivity, why this matters to us? It's because they chose to ignore God. Maybe at first it was an accident, but then it just became part of who they were. They had forgotten about all that God had done for them. And that, we looked at that a couple of weeks ago, all that God had done for them, and they chose to ignore that. Therefore, they were sentenced to complete and utter futility, and they were destined for exile. Why does it matter to us? 
because the greatest hindrance to the gospel today is not any external factors. The greatest hindrance to the gospel today is not the far right that we disagree with or the far left that we disagree with. It's not political parties. It's not laws that we think might be unjust. That's not the greatest hindrance. The greatest hindrance to the gospel today is the life of a person who professes a faith in Jesus Christ, but whose life does not reflect him at all. Several years ago, author and pastor Craig Rochelle uh, coined a phrase called the Christian Atheist, and he wrote a great book by the same title, and that his, his, was his definition of a Christian Atheist, somebody who professes with their mouth that they believe in Jesus, but they live their life as if he doesn't exist. That's what the people of Judah were doing. They, that, that's what in, verse, in chapter number 6, what should I bring? Should I bring sacrifices? Should I bring a good sacrifice? Should I bring my firstborn? They were just wanting to go through steps that appeared to be religious when their hearts were far from anything God. The greatest hindrance to the gospel in our day is the life of a person who says one thing and does the complete opposite. It causes confusion It gives the unbeliever the right to question the authenticity of our faith and therefore the authenticity of the gospel. And why? Because we say mercy and we scream mercy, but we don't show mercy. We say mercy, we say we want justice and we we scream justice, but we don't stand up for justice. And that's the challenge of Micah chapter 6. God wants more, more from us than the occasional religious activity. He wants our heart to beat as his heart. When we sin, he wants us to own it. He wants us to confess it, to repent from it, and then to continue to pursue him. He wants us to live for his glory in our personal lives, in our marriages, in our places of of business, in our parenting, and most of all in his church. God wants our hearts to be filled with justice and faithfulness and humility, Micah 6, 8. Micah 6 is an amazing chapter, um, because, but if we're honest, it also hurts because it forces us to ask the question, why do we do the things we do for God? Do we do the things that we do for God so that we can hopefully be in a little bit better standing with Him? so that maybe we're not in quite so hot of water with him, so that we can garner his acceptance and his salvation? Or do we do what we do for God because we realize beyond a shadow of a doubt who he is and what he has chose to do to redeem his people? Do we have to force our heart to imitate him, or does our heart beat? truly mimic our saviors. Why, what does this look like for us? Well, for Judah, it looked like turning their backs on people. It looked a whole lot like looking like the Babylonians and the Assyrians and all those who were oppressing rather than looking like God. What's it look like for us? Well, let me offer up a few. It looks in our day and age like regular church attendance which if you read people like Barna, that regular church attendance has become something like one, and if we really feel like it, two times a month. 
that has become regular and the norm. What does it look like for us? Well, it, it looks like uh, a command to, to set aside in your heart and purpose in your heart what you're going to give. We call it tithing, tithes and offerings. It looks like that sort, instead of being more along the biblical lines of a tenth of all, if we go back to the Old Testament and Leviticus and the priests, a tenth, uh, tithing now, average giving for a Christian is now just above 2%. We can give ourselves a thumbs up because a tenth and a and two both start with T, so at least we're, 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 in, we're in the ballpark. What's it look like for us? It shows up in us prioritizing sporting events and drama and dance and sleeping in on Sunday mornings over regularly gathering for worship. What's it look like for us today? It shows up as us, and guys, I'm going to talk specifically to you just for a second. It shows up in us spending every waking moment trying to prove that we are worthy in, 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 in the sight of everybody around us and in God's eyes rather than resting in what He has given us. What does it look like for us? Well, it shows up as prayer requests with our buddies uh, in the form of gossip that doesn't help anything. What does it look like for us today? It shows up as an excuse. It says, I've already done my role. Let somebody else take responsibility for that. It shows up in us looking much more like the culture around us than we do the God who redeemed us and desires relationship with us and has done everything to secure that relationship. And that is why we study Micah. Because we are on the same trajectory that they are. Because of our sins, because of our missteps, we are destined for judgment. But just like Micah keeps saying over and over and over, and just like Micah keeps giving pictures of hope, we too have hope. And that's where Micah lands the plane. Uh, bad analogy, right? The Wright brothers weren't around then. But that's where Micah brings it home. So in, in Micah chapter 7, if you have your Bibles, and Danny, I'm going to deviate from the notes a little bit because I just want us to see in Micah chapter 7 what's going on. Micah is at his wit's end. In, in, in verse number 1, he says, how sad for me. Sounds a whole lot like Elijah saying, I'm the only one there around, God, who's, who's not turned my back on you. And what did God do to Elijah? Right? He said, quit kidding yourself. Quit deluding yourself. There's, there's hundreds of people who haven't bowed a knee to Baal or to Asherah. And just like Micah, I'm sure there were other people around, but Micah feels like he's all alone. He says, uh, he, he gives this imagery of going out into the summer to pick fruit, but he finds that it's already barren. It's already been gleaned and, and picked over. And, and he keeps reading and or keeps saying in verse number two, godly people have vanished from the land. There is no one upright among the people. All of them wait in ambush to shed blood. They hunt each other with a net. They are so self-absorbed and self-focused that they're taking advantage of the people around them that they're supposed to be loving and sacrificing for. In verse number three, it doesn't get any better. It says, both hands are good at accomplishing evil. The official and the judge, they, they demand a bribe. When a powerful man communicates his desires, they plot it together. And here's, here's the, the best, Micah says in verse number four. The best of them is like a briar. The most upright is worse than a hedge of thorns. 
This is not a good grade on your report card. The worst is like a thorn. The best is like a briar. And it gets worse and worse. God's people who should be reveling in the glory of God and the deliverance of God have vacated the premises. And they are accepting what's around them. And they're looking like what's around them. And it continues down through, down through to verse number 7. And this bright spot comes out. And Micah says, but I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will, will hear me. Now, there, there's a lot of stuff that has to happen for Israel because of their sin. There is going to be uh, a, an epidemic that is coming, a, a, an epidemic of wickedness. You can see that in the first four verses. In five and six, there's going to be this epidemic of rebellion. There's going to be an epidemic of persecution. But the king is going to return. And that's the promise that Micah is trying to get his brothers and sisters as fellow Jews, as fellow Israelites, to lean into and to accept that Jesus the King is coming. And he continues to go through all of this. And yes, times were tough for them. Maybe it was their fault. Maybe it was their na- 